Uh, you may be seated. Thank you guys very much for leading us in worship. I'm grateful. Listen, I like how clappy y'all are getting lately. This is, uh, I don't even recognize y'all anymore. Clapping and I like it. Um, hey, before we jump into our series in Acts, uh, I just have a quick announcement. Um, October 23rd, one of the things we want to do to kind of reach out to our, our neighbors and our community, we want to try a little trunk or treat here on campus. So we need tons of candy. I mean, like tons of candy. I don't want no kids showing up here getting like two pieces of candy. We, we can't be doing that. Like I've said it before, I want us to hand out candy like Jesus hands out grace. I want them like ridiculous amounts of candy. So that means we need us bringing candy in. The other thing is we need like 20 more people to, to sign up to do trunk so we can get everything filled up back here. So if you're interested in decorating your trunk, get a friend to do it with you. I don't care if y'all team up, um, but let's, let's make this fun for the kids. All right, um, that's my public service announcement. All right, no more announcements from me. We're gonna be jumping into the word. Um, listen, we're in this series on, in Acts and it's been awesome. Like we've been seeing the church explode, the gospel move. Like I've, I've really enjoyed what I've been seeing uh, in the book. And, and then we get to today's chapter and uh, it, it makes me a little nervous. Let me tell you why it makes me nervous. Um, it reminds me of a story uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was teaching a group of senior guys a Bible study. It was one of the things that I got the privilege of doing. I'll never forget one Sunday, uh, they're all like upset, acting stupid. I can't tell what's going on. So like a good youth pastor, I walk over to my group of people acting like knuckleheads and saying, hey, what's going on? They're huddled around this phone and they're watching this video. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's this group of guys and they're all hanging out at one of their houses and they're in the garage and they're, they're playing with their dad's rifle. Uh, yeah, re real awesome. And you hear him talking, and I hear the guy recording saying, hey, you sure the safety's on? And then the guy holding the gun is like, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Hey, I'm not sure. It looks like, it's, are you sure the safety's on? Yeah, it's not loaded. I'm fine. Are you sure the safety's on? Bang, and you hear a shot. Uh, it went through the garage and landed in a tree. It came pretty close to a stinking uh, heating tank. And, and I remember the first thing I said is, you guys are idiots. If you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. Like there, there was like this thing. It, it did something in my stomach where you, you realize, man, they were playing with something that they ought not to be playing with. They don't know what they're doing. They're being stupid. They think they know what they're doing, but, but they don't. And, and today's passage reminds me sometimes about the seriousness of who God is and and how precious and holy the church is, and how if we're not careful, um, we'll, we might be playing with something we ought not to be playing with. We need to take it serious. Um, so uh, all the excitement has been going on. Let me fill you in what's been going on in this passage. Acts chapter four is where we've been. You can open up your Bibles there. But the church has been, I mean, people are getting saved left and right, like 3,000 in one sermon, 5,000 in the next, didn't even finish the sermon. Now all of a sudden this movement's happening in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, people are talking and they're talking a lot. They've created this tidal wave of movement around the person and work of Jesus. Like it's just exploding. And every day, every single day, these people are so in love with Jesus and each other. They're together every day, studying the word, eating meals together in each other's homes. Like they are just, I mean, they're reaching people left and right. They're in community. They're, they're worshiping God. And it's, it's spreading like wildfire. And, and Peter and John walk into the temple in Acts chapter three, and they heal this guy. And then 
They get arrested mid-sermon, and now they've had to stand up to, um, to the, the, the Sanhedrin, to the council that's saying, listen, you need to stop this. No, no more of this Jesus talk. Cut it out. I'm done with that. You do it again, we're going to have a much different combo the next time you're in here. And so they say, listen, we got to obey God. And they go and tell their friends, and they get together, and they pray, and ask God to help them stay bold and help them keep proclaiming the gospel and endure the suffering. They do all these things. And we pick up again in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Listen to what's going on here. This is awesome. This is a real similar thing to what we saw in Acts 2. It says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. It, they were unified, right? They're like family. They're, they're together. They're like one. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Like, this thing is awesome, right? Like, like they're, they're unified and they're, 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 they really feel like a real family with each other. Like, this is more than just friendship. This is more than just hanging out with your buddies and your friends. There's something that feels like family to them. That's, that's how the church in its purest form is supposed to feel. Right? It's, it's supposed to be this awesome thing. And, and the enemy, Satan, is, hates it. And he's already tried some pressure from the Sanhedrin to jack this thing up. But it's not working. Because when God's moving, you, you just can't stop it. But, but look at how, this, how gracious they're being. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Like, okay, listen, this is crazy. Like, I, like, this is, this is like, this is not like force. No one's saying, here's the deal. You want to be part of this church. You got to sell your stuff and let the apostles distribute. It wasn't forced. It wasn't required. It wasn't like, okay, well, if you want to be a leader in the church, you got to sell some land and, and buy your way into leadership. This was like this authentic act of love. Like they're, they're sitting looking around saying, man, I'm like I'm looking around at this massive church, maybe 8,000 people at this time. 8,000. And they're saying, I'm seeing poor people in our church. I'm seeing needy people. And I got this land. And I'm just, I think God wants me to sell it. And I'm taking all of it, all of the cash, and bringing it to the apostles saying, listen, I've already met the needs of the people in my small group. Like, I'm, I'm bringing the rest to you and just saying, you know the needs. Y'all go help people. And it's not just one person. Like, they're doing it all the time, all over the church. Like, can you imagine that? Like, I, like we, we talk about like 10%. Pastors are like trying to guilt people into like, I'm gonna try to find a way to really squeeze that 10% out of you, right? Like, we guilt, we tell all these stories, we do whatever tricks pastors have in their bag to get people to write a check, right? That's not the church. I don't have to manipulate, I don't have to pressure. You just, man, there's something that God does in your heart and you take his money and spend it however he says he wants you to spend it. Like that's what's going on. This is, this is an act of love by this church. This is an act of worship by this church. Like this is, this is powerful, right? This is not just what they do. It's not tradition. It's the work of God. And then I want you to see what happens then. There's this one guy that stands out. His name is Joseph, verse 36. Thus Joseph, 
who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Like, here's this dude. His name is Joseph. He's already got a new nickname in the church, which is a weird nickname, Barnabas. Like, like I mean, I can think of a lot, lot better nicknames than Barnabas, but I'm not going to get into it. In other words, it means, like, this dude's always encouraging us. They're saying, listen, we love Barnabas. Like, he's always encouraging. He's just constantly encouraging us in Jesus and telling us good things. Here's this, this awesome guy that God is clearly doing a work in. Here's what he does. Verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, so here's Barnabas. And there's, you know, Luke is telling us, this is what's happening in the church. And one example is this awesome guy named Barnabas. Like He sells this massive thing and brings a ton of money. And listen, it's this rumor, it's spreading around the church. It's saying, man, did you hear what God did? What God did, not what Barnabas did. Did you hear what God did in and through Barnabas? Man, it's awesome. And I, I can see this. Like, here's, here's Barnabas. And what's going to happen in a church when, when God does something like this through a person? Like, it, this is just natural. And I, I believe that Barnabas begins to be respected. He's known by the apostles. People begin to look at him in a different way. And all of a sudden, all this is happening. It's contagious, and pressure from the enemy isn't working. So now the enemy is going to try a different strategy. He's going to try to corrupt the body from within. So in the midst of all this, and Barnabas, uh, a work of God happening in his heart that's real and authentic, and in the middle of this contagious generosity and love in the church, chapter 5 shows up. Look at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Listen, they're looking around. Everyone else is selling stuff, giving it. And Ananias and Sapphira are like, we got property. Let's sell property. Right? That's all good. Verse 2. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen, here's... Here's Ananias and Sapphira, and they're looking around. They're saying, man, we want to be a part of this. So they, they sell this land. And let's just say they sold it for $1,000, just because I like round numbers. And they bring 500 of it, whatever it is. I don't know. They, they bring part of it, and they, they lay it at the apostles' feet and say, this is the money from the land that we sold. You use it for whatever you want. And I can imagine that conversation. God just put it in our heart. We wanted to sell this. Like we just really love the people, and this is... We felt like, you know what? We want to give all of it. That's what, that's what God did. He did this work of love that he's doing in us for the church. And it's not guilt. It's not duty. We just love everyone. And, oh, shucks. We're just going to give all of it. Right? It's a little bit different than Barnabas. And you're going to find out now. that There's some other motivation going on in Ananias and Sapphira. Like, uh, and, and you're going to see... When I talk about you ought not to play with things you ought not to, that are big and serious and dangerous, this is one of those things you ought not to play games with. Because there's this scheme that Ananias and Sapphira have hatched. They've said this. They could have just said, hey, we just want to bring some of it. But that doesn't get you the same type of repu reputation and respect and honor among the people at the church as bringing 100% of it. I'm bringing all 1,000 of it instead they're bringing 500 and pretending like it's the whole cost of the field. They're lying to everyone in the church for whatever reason they decide to do that. They're lying. They, they're looking at the people of the church and say, I want you to think something about me. I want, I want you to believe that God's actually working in my heart. 
So now this happens, verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, and okay, Peter can get a little bold, just in case you hadn't noticed. He says, Ananias, why has Satan, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Well, while it remained unsold, did, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I mean, so Peter, however he realizes this, whether God showed him this through the Holy Spirit or he heard word on the street, that's not what he sold it for. However this happened, Peter confronts Ananias and he, he says this, like, listen, Ananias, no one made you give this money. It was yours. Like, Peter's not mad that Ananias didn't give 100% of it. That's not what he's upset about. He said, it was your money. It was your land. You could do whatever you wanted with it. You could give none of it. You could give a dollar of it. I don't care. That's between you and God. But, but you decided that you wanted to lie about it. You didn't, you didn't, just, you didn't lie to us. Let me paint this picture a little bit higher. You, you lied to God. You, you lied to the Holy Spirit that's the work of Satan. That'll make your stomach feel all weird. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do talk like that in the church unless you're like doing a power play. That's the devil, right? Like, like, but this is real. Like he's, he's raising something up here that is a big deal in the church. He, he's raising it up. I mean, this is super intense. And, and then I believe Peter's surprised at what happens next. Verse five, when Ananias heard these words, <laughs> He fell down and breathed his last. Peter didn't go, God, kill him. That's not how I'm reading that. Peter said, Ananias, what are you doing, man? This is the work of the devil. You're lying. Don't, it's your money. You're lying to God. And I, I believe, if I'm seeing this right, that I think Peter was probably just as surprised as everyone else when Ananias just dropped dead right there. And I think it was like this. Because look at what happens next. It says, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, never happened to me in a church service. Uh, I would prefer that not happen. Can I just be honest? All right, let's, we're not going to have a moment right now. Let's not do that. Okay. I'm not going to take up an offering right now either. Don't want to do that. It'll probably work really good. We're going to have the ushers come down and let's pass the plate and we'll finish this sermon. And then we'll have invitation. Not doing that. Okay, that's not where we're headed with this. But listen, this is intense. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to picture that moment where all of a sudden you realize, dude, we do not need to play games with the almighty living God. Like, there's all this grace and good news because he's really gracious and merciful but this moment brings something serious into the church. Verse six, and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It's Middle East, we don't have, it's not three days later, you don't got time for that, you gotta get that dude buried right away. Right, so they go, and, but it gets worse. Verse seven, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So, I don't know where she was at. 
I, I don't know what's, and this whole thing is totally insane to me that she's out and about, doesn't know her husband has died and he's already buried, all right? And she shows up to church to hang out, right? I'm gonna enjoy this moment of glory that me and my husband have planned. So she shows up three hours later, Peter in verse eight, I would assume he's nervous right now. I mean, was she part of this? Does she know what's going on? So he jumps around and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Did you really sell it for $1,000? Is that what it was? And she said, yes, for so much. And in that moment, it's clear that she's a part of this. But Peter said to her, verse nine, how is it you've agreed Together, and then uses this phrase, to test the spirit of the Lord. And not just lying, y'all are trying him. And it's almost like he knows, man, she's gonna have the same thing as her husband. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I would say yes. And I just try to picture this. I try to imagine what's kind of going on here. I, I try to picture what it's like to show up at church and someone's sharing a testimony of something God did, and then bam, they die. And we're all like, oh, dude, like, okay, we got the corner, they come and they take them, and then the wife shows up late to church for whatever reason, and then like, hey, man, before we talk about what just happened like an hour ago, like, your husband said that God did this awesome thing. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Boom, and she's dead, and y'all are all like, I don't know if I want to come next week. And I definitely don't want to answer any questions that anyone is asking me. It's It's terrifying. But I'm going to be honest, when I read this, I would prefer other passages. They're much more fun. But we're not going to skip over it. I have questions. Like, for, for example, exactly what was their sin? I want to know that. If you get struck dead for things, I would like to know what that is and not ever, 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 ever do that. Right? And let's, let's be clear. Peter made it clear over and over and over again. It's not because they did not give enough money. That's not the reason. The reason is not lack of generosity. Because Peter didn't go, God told you to give it all and you didn't. Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You, you lied. The, the, sin, the sin is lying and doing this act of hypocrisy to make other people think that God's doing a work in your heart that he isn't. The, the sin is the lie. The sin is pretending on purpose so that people will think something of you that you aren't. Man, they see Barnabas and they want that, whatever the motivation was, whether it was prestige or maybe they wanted leadership, whatever it was that they were coveting in their heart, they were willing to lie to everyone to get it. Listen, it, it points out a few quick lessons to me about hypocrisy. Number one, hypocrisy is satanic. 
I wish I could mince words there, but I don't know how else to do this because it's clear from Peter in verse three. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? There's something satanic about this. I mean, I sat there and started to think through, well, why? Like, why would Satan, why would he go about this strategy? His strategy was not immorality. I mean, that's part of it, but his game plan was not, let me see how many in the church I can get to go visit cult prostitutes. That wasn't his strategy. His initial strategy with the church was to get people to fake it in order to be viewed by people in a certain way. Listen, you, you want to kill a church? Just be fake. You want to kill community? Pretend to be something you're not. Pretend to have it all together. And then what happens? Now we all got to pretend because if you've got it all together and I show up a mess, I ain't doing that. You want to drive a wedge in, in the deep, loving relationship of a church family? Start faking it and judging one another and see how much you will kill the spirit of a church. You, you fake it. You, you want to wreck the leadership of a church. You put people who know how to fake it in that role. People who know about image and prestige and all they think about is what are the optics of this. You put those people in leadership, you'll kill a church. Because now it's all about your opinion of me instead of what God is really doing. Man, I think it's satanic. And listen, if, if you're ever tempted, just hear me, if you're tempted to deceive people to gain respect or standing or position, don't do it. Don't, don't. Also, it's not only satanic. Second lesson is hypocrisy believes that God doesn't see or care. Listen, Ananias and Sapphira never thought, they thought, God doesn't care if I show up and lie about how much money I gave. He doesn't care if I pretend. Listen, he, maybe they think he doesn't see, but whatever it is, they were not believing that God was gonna be real upset about this. And the reality is God sees it. He cares. Like, he, God is really present and active in the church. He's really intimately involved in us as a people and in our relationship. He's, he's there. And, and when you take that lightly and you think he doesn't see or doesn't care when you despise the church, you would be wrong. It, it reminds me of an Old Testament story. I don't have time to go into it, but if you want to, check out the story of Nadab and, ba and Abihu in the book of Leviticus. God shows up in the midst of this people and they decide to tweak worship to do it their own way and immediately there's judgment because when the holy God is in your midst, you gotta do things the way he said to do things. You gotta act like the holy one is actually here. Listen, as I, as I see this, it seems clear that God sees and he cares. So my first question is, what was their sin? I believe it was, it was lying, it was hypocrisy. But the second question I have is this. Does God still do this? Like was, that, was that like a one-time thing? Like this miraculous thing that just said, okay, he did it that one time, but no one's getting zapped here today, right? Um, does he still strike people dead like that? And I was like, I, and, and listen, I went through all of Acts, and there was not another story of someone in the church getting struck dead for hypocrisy. Started looking at other verses, like, and I started thinking through 
all the stupid stuff that people did in the church. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, the entire church of Corinth. I don't see any stories of anyone getting struck dead in the church in Corinth. Galatia, man, they totally were jacking up the gospel and nobody got struck dead. So I tried to feel relieved, like, okay. But then I found some other verses. James chapter five, you can look this up on your own, verse 13 through 16. Uh, James gives instruction on how to deal with people in, that are sick in the church and he, he makes this comment about confessing your sins. And I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. You can look that up on your own. But it was 1 Corinthians 11 that really rattled me a little more. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you can flip over there real quick. In this, Paul is dealing with all sorts of issues in Corinth. And I mean, they are gross. All right, let me give you a few little snap snot shots. They're all divided about who their favorite leader is. All right, like I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like Jesus, I like Donald Trump. I like, okay, I'm not gonna go into all that stuff. Shouldn't have jumped into politics, don't. Okay, anyways, um, right? Like they're all divided into factions. Then there's this immorality. Like they, they got a lot of immorality. They're visiting prostitutes and that's okay. Are you out of your mind? Like, it, like these are the issues, right? They got a dude that's sleeping with his stepmom and they're not upset about it, right? But then the issue that causes problems in the church where people get sick about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen, this church is having, they're trying to do the communion of the Lord's Supper and they get together for like these potluck meals, right? And listen, what they're doing is insane. Look at verse 20 of chapter 11. He says this, uh, when you come together, it's not for the Lord, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Can you picture this at church? <laughs> like I don't, Good grief, like they're showing up and they're bringing a potluck, but they've got rich people and poor people in there. And the rich people are like, no, this is my chicken dinner that I brought. You, I'm eating it. You didn't bring nothing. Figure it out on your own. I'm going to eat my dinner and sorry you don't get to eat. Like they're not waiting for each other. They're pigging out on the food. They're not sharing the food. And some people are getting drunk at a church potluck. Like, come on, man, zap somebody, right? Verse 22 says, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Hey, let, me, let me tell you what you're doing. You're despising the church. Sounds similar to what Ananias and Sapphira did. If you skip down to verse 27, look at what he says is happening. He says, whoever therefore, you're talking about communion, when you're taking the bread and and drinking of the cup to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He says this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Don't have time to get into it, just take it serious, right? Verse 28, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And look at this next verse. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Okay, wait, okay hold on. That, that's not what I wanted to see. It looks, there's something here, at least in Corinth, that looks like when something's happening in the church, there may be times that people get sick or even die because of despising the church. 
because of neglecting communion and treating it in a way we ought not to treat it. Listen, that makes me nervous. When I see that, I realize something. Now listen, here's what I'm not telling you. <laughs> All right, who's sick in here? What'd you do? That's not, that's not where we're going. That's not, I think, the purpose of this. I think the point um, is that there really is a holy God in our midst. He really is holy. And he really is here with us. And there are real consequences for ignoring him or despising that. There's real consequences, church. When we interact with the almighty living God, we need to take it very, very seriously. Here's what I want to do. I want, I want to give three things that I think stand out with a real and true God in our midst. Because, listen, I don't know if God will strike someone dead. I, I don't know. I, I don't, that seems like a rare thing that's happening in the Bible. But the reality is it did happen. So what does that mean for us in the way we interact? Number one, God is in our midst so we should love the church deeply. Listen, God is in our midst, so we should love the church deeply. He, he's really here, and let me explain what I mean. I don't mean the church building. That's not the church. This building is just a building where the church meets. We can get any building, and God is in our midst. And it doesn't mean Sunday at 10 a.m. That's not the church either. That's a time slot. That's a time slot when the church gathers together, but that's not the church. He's not saying that Sunday at 10 a.m. is the time you don't do bad things or in this building is not the time you do bad things. I believe that God is in our midst as a people. Now that's, that's who God's in the midst of. So that means we, we need to love the church deeply. We don't want to be flipping about this or discard the church easily. That means when we get together outside of this time, when there's a few of us together having a meal, God is with you. When we sit down to talk about what Jesus is doing in our heart, God is with you. We should love the church deeply. It should matter to us that we're together and in deep relationship. That, that's one of the points of this. So when we get together, you know that the holy creator, sustainer of the universe is with you. And that means he, he takes our gathering seriously. And he takes our getting together outside of this seriously. He takes our relationships with one another seriously. So we should be free to gather in groups and share what's happening. We should treat each other with love and respect. We should honor each other. Can you just imagine what it's like for a group that really believes the holy God is in their midst and now you're saying, man, I want to be with other people in the church, so let's get a meal together this week. And God's there in the midst. And imagine a meal with people who want to love one another and honor one another. Think about how encouraging it is to be with those people as opposed to the ones who want to judge one another and condemn each other. Like, listen, the gospel work of Jesus says that God is in our midst and that we can love and encourage and honor each other. Church, we, we should love the church deeply because he's with us. Second thing, God is in our midst, so we should take sin seriously. Like, it, it's not just that we should love the church deeply. Listen, sin is no joke. 
God didn't, God has never minimized sin. He's never said, eh, that's okay. Let me tell you what he said about sin. This is a big deal. So big that the only solution is me sending my son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. Does that sound like it's no big deal to you? Those little things that we say aren't that big still had the same price for Jesus. Listen, don't let sin hide and fester in us. Take sin seriously. Don't minimize it. Don't play games with it. Don't let it stay hidden. Don't allow hypocrisy and deception to creep into your heart. Listen, take sin seriously. But then there's a third one. And this one may throw you for a loop. Um, God's in our midst, so we need to give and celebrate grace loudly. Where'd you get grace? Like, you should be asking, where do you get grace in that passage? Two people got struck dead. How is that grace? Listen, there's one character I kind of ignored this entire time. There's this guy named Peter standing right there. Now, listen, I think it's a mistake to think Peter was just angry, like, listen, Ananias, dude, I want God to zap you right now. Listen, I need you to think through something. And maybe I'm going down imagination too far, but when I look at Peter's writings in 1 and 2 Peter, there's a humility to him. And I can't help but ask this question. Here's Peter confronting two people for lying. Can, Can we talk about a time that Peter lied? Three times? You tell me whose lie is worse. I don't even know him. I said I don't know him. Listen, little girl, blankety blank blank, I don't know that man. Or, yeah, we sold it for $500. Man, I, I can't help but think that has Peter and the church watched some people struck dead, they couldn't help but say, why am I still standing? Why didn't he strike me dead when I denied him while Jesus was being beat in front of me? Why didn't I get struck dead when I denied him when he was standing on trial? Why didn't I get struck dead when I tucked tailed and ran? And when I think about all the times that sin is festering in me, man, God has been so merciful When I think about the times that I've let bitterness sink into me and break relationships in the church, when I think about the times that I've allowed my heart to be hard and I've refused to love other people that don't look just like me, when I think about the times I've just, all the stuff that can happen, right? You think about the things that happen in our minds when we're trying to gather and worship Jesus. We will change our seats to get away from people that upset us. That's the only way you get a Baptist to move, a church fight, right? Otherwise, we're in the same pews until we die, right? But a church fight, boom, I'm finding a new section, right? Um, I don't, listen, I don't know who's moved seats, so I, hopefully no one's changed seats today and y'all are like, what do you know? What do you know? Um, uh, I don't know what's going on, right? That'll get us to move seats, Right? And we'll harbor this bitterness or, or, or the times that you're trying to engage in, in this, but the thing that's going through your heart, who knows what sinful thoughts rush into our brains sometimes. I remember meeting with a man one time and his biggest frustration was how much lust bombarded him on a Sunday morning during church. 
And I just think, man, how have we not all been struck dead the moments we faked it in here? Listen, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it's a story about a God that's present and in our midst, but there's grace here that every single one of us are receiving mercy all the time. Listen, the fact that we're not dead, it's mercy, right? You can celebrate that. It doesn't bother me to be excited about the fact that I haven't been struck dead while standing up here today. Like, yeah. Listen, church, there's a thousand ways we've earned death. Gossip, bitterness, lust, hypocrisy, pretending, immorality, whatever it is. There's a thousand ways we've earned it. Can I remind you the good news? The reason you and I aren't dead today? There's a God who's holy and big and just and merciful. And he said, I love these people. So I'm going to send my son Jesus and he's going to die on a cross and he's going to die for every single one of them so that he can clean them Bring them back to me. The Bible says he came back to life three days later to show us that he really will do the work. And he offers all of us this free gift. The gift is not, hey, I'll save you if you behave. I'll save you if you clean yourself up. I'll save you if you get baptized. No. He says, I will save you if you just repent and turn to me. Trust me. Ask me to save you. Believe in the work of Jesus to save you and not your performance. Listen, church, the fact that Peter was standing there reminds us that God is merciful. So today, here's my call to all of us. Number one, man, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that. Number two, love the church. Hate sin. And finally, listen, worship Jesus for his mercy. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? So I'm going to give us a moment to respond. Now's the time where right there in your seat, you get to do business with God, whatever he was doing. If he called you um, to worship him for mercy, then worship him. Listen, if, he, if he's calling you to repent, of whether that's hypocrisy or whatever sin, would you just re- repent of it? Listen, if he's calling you to love people in the church, to be in community and relationship. Do what he says. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song and uh, this altar will be open if you wanna do business with God. You can come up here and pray. Uh, If you wanna talk to a pastor or decision counselor, we will all be down front, um, sitting in these front seats. If you need to speak to us, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, we'll talk about whatever God's doing in your heart or we'll pray with you, whatever you need. Um, If you need just to worship God, maybe you're just overwhelmed by his mercy. Man, you can do that right there in your seat. Um, But but don't not respond to him. Whatever he's doing in your heart, respond. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, it's a big deal that you're holy and you're in our midst. God, you you are so much more pure and holy than we are. And God, you're patient and you're merciful. And God, we praise you for that. Thank you for being merciful to me. 
And God, I pray for us right now that you would work in our hearts, that we'd have tender hearts towards what you would what you would be speaking to us. Help us to listen to the Spirit, God. But I pray in this moment that we'd respond with worship or repentance or, or love, whatever you would call us to. I pray you would help us to do that and that um, we really would know and love Jesus more because we were here today. 